Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm going to continue on a little bit with my conversation about lesbian love, but not before I talk to Nick, who is on the line. Hello, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I was just calling because I'm really interested in your book. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Well, just because I listen to your show on Sundays, you know, I just hang out, listen and stuff, and yeah, I wanted to give it a read. Oh, well, great. Well, that's so nice of you. Okay. You can tell me what you think of it, all right? Only one other person has read it. Oh, really? That's it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny. It's funny you were talking about um, fractured penises earlier, because we were actually talking about that at my work last week, and it <laughs> happened to two people I work with, and we were talking about it, and it, yeah, it's actually, yeah, it is. Not on the job. Well, no, not on the job, obviously, but... <laughs> Yeah, wasn't a workman's comp. <laughs> yeah, WCBA fractured my penis. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I guess it is pretty common. But yeah, we were talking about it last week, so I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, I just wanted to give your book a read. Oh, well, for sure. So th- thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. And uh, you can leave your information with Mike Mabordoff. All right, thank you. All right, you're welcome. Thank you. And now I have Peter on the line. Hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. Uh, oh, hi. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I've been waiting for almost five minutes now. That's okay. Oh, well, thanks for hanging yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I listen to your show every day. I mean, um, every, uh, sorry. Uh, every You're day. fantasizing now. I'm not on every day. <laughs> uh, what I meant is uh, every weekend. Yes. Yeah, and um, uh, although I, I don't call you, uh, the last time I phoned you was uh, was regarding the... Uh, uh, ladies toy, you know, penis, ladies toy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did I give away uh, a penis that disguised yeah. as a ladies toy? Yes. <laughs> Probably. And, um, Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I didn't came to pick it up because I was kind of busy. So this time I, I was, um, I had uh, regarding your book. Uh, Did somebody I, else pick up your toy or... The <laughs> Uh, sorry. I don't know if it's still there. I'll have to check for you, but go ahead. Uh, pardon me? Oh, I, I don't know if your toy is still there, if you haven't picked it up no, yet. No, I'm not interested in the toy now. I, okay. Too, it's too, uh, too late, and I mean, uh, it's, that's all right. Okay. But I'm interested in the book uh, you were telling me. Yes. Um, uh, Sex and uh, Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, a friend of mine said, this is not true, Maureen. <laughs> it's a guy who said... <laughs> We can come without each other. <laughs> One can come without the other, and that is true indeed. <laughs> but I'm trying to prevent that. Anyway, so if you would like a book. <laughs> you, I sure would like the book because... Uh, will you come and pick it up then? Uh, no, would you, would you mail it to me? All right, I'll mail it to you for crying out loud. <laughs> All right, I will. But I'm going to go down and retrieve that other sex toy and give it out to some other lucky listener. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, if you can mail uh, that sex, sex toy... <laughs> That is long gone. There are ladies that man that desk, okay? That is long gone. Oh, that was uh, about, uh, about a year ago. Oh, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> That's been replaced. That's been worn out and replaced already. Don't you worry about it. Anyway, well, thanks, Peter, for the call and for listening to the show. Uh, so uh, how can I get the book? Then? Oh, yeah, just leave your information with Mike, my board op there. Yeah. Uh, can I speak to Mike then? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's going to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> they all want you, Mike. Okay, we're back to lesbian love. Uh, so some questions about lesbian sex, mainly. The people wonder quite often. I see all sorts of patients in my clinical practice. I'm getting tied up here accidentally. Anyway, <laughs> I'm all tied up. That's fun. 
Okay. Uh, people wonder if, because two women are both the same, essentially, do they know instinctively what the other one likes? And the answer to that is no. Just like hetero people, it takes gay ladies a while to figure out what each other likes. This is an exploration. This is uh, understanding your own self as it relates to uh, another woman. And a, a lot of women will report that it wasn't until they met their first girlfriend or they were in bed with their this particular lover that they that things really started to connect and to understand how profoundly mind-blowing the sex with a woman could be. So, uh, But it definitely takes exploration. It's not kind of an automatic thing just because there's there may be similar body parts there. Other people wonder if Lesbians always use a strap-on, and the answer to that, of course, is no. Some people just, some women actually just use it, like, as a, a special, for special occasions, like, like, birthdays. <laughs> and so if they were with a man, they might be doing something else on a birthday. But when they're with women, they use, they may use a strap-on. I have a great strap-on on my website. It's hot pink. Of course, that's my favorite color. And and a lot of lesbian lovers order that. Uh, and it's not very expensive at all. I really don't like for things to cost you money. I'd really rather give everything away. Uh, if you've listened to the show before, you know that about me. But um, sometimes women like to receive anal sex, so they like to have a strap-on penetrate them there because it feels nice. Or they like to, some other lesbian lovers like to incorporate strap-on sex more regularly. So they do also role-play and will take on a more masculine character. And for some other people the masculine role feels generally more comfortable for them if they, if they take that on. Um, also, you know, sometimes people wonder, well, you know, if why would you have sex with a girl who may look like a boy? It doesn't, why not just date a man? Well, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, men are men and women are women. And, and sometimes there, you know, there is, uh, this is gender and, and gender is fluid. And there are, we all have different characteristics. We may have some male characteristics or some female characteristics. Um, but as lesbians, I am told that they are attracted to parts and minds of women. And also they too are attracted to breasts. Men are can be quite attracted to breasts, and some scientists believe it's uh, for a sexual perspective. I don't know. The jury's out on that one. Um, but some women have a very difficult time connecting on an emotional level with men. You also see women, because uh, sexuality is also is fluid, some women may leave men for other women. Uh, so there's lots of different things. So, you know, we're going to running out a little bit of time. We're going to have to go to break. So we're going to cover a couple of things like scissoring and fisting next week. Okay. So you're going to have to listen next week if you want to learn a little bit more about that. But when I come back, Sean Seal, my virtual personal, personal trainer now, <laughs> is going to join me. And we're going to talk about how to get a better butt. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I don't want to keep this guy hanging too much. Paul's on the line. I don't know what he wants. Hello, Paul. Hello, Maureen. How are you? Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I have uh, two questions for you. Great. The first one is is I'm wanting to know is, do you work with people in wheelchairs? Yes, I do. 
In fact, that is how I started in my sexual health practice. I worked with uh, men who were experiencing erectile dysfunction who had spinal cord injury and were experiencing autonomic dysreflexia at ejaculation. So, yes. Okay, and my second question is, is um, you know, are your services that you provide, are they covered under the MSP plan? You know, they're not. Okay. Um, where I'm, can I get information on, you know? You can go to my website if you want okay. to book an appointment. My okay. office number is on that website, backtothebedroom.ca. Okay. Okay, and okay. Uh, my phone number is there as well. Okay. Definitely. All right, Thank so you. you can either give a call or you yep. can email um, or, or book an appointment online. Okay. Thank you, Maureen. All right, you're very welcome. All right, take sure. care. Okay, so next, I don't know if you know this, but I've been working out the last few weeks and eating more. <laughs> That's the only downfall of working out. But uh, Sean Seal of Upside Strength has been doing his best to reel me in and help me to train to get a better upper body strength. That was my initial goal was to get some upper body strength. And now that I'm able to lift up the Lionsgate Bridge, I want to focus below the belt. And so Sean is going to tell me and you how to get a better butt. Hello, Sean. Hey, Maureen. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, good. Okay, so we've had several weeks now on the upper body strength, but I don't want to forget below the belt either, ever. <laughs> yeah, no, never. So what are some great tips for people to get a better butt? A better butt? Um, I think a good mix of uh, lower body movements, lower body exercises. Uh, so you can say squats, lunges, uh, deadlifts. and what's a, de- what's a deadlift? A deadlift is picking up uh, a weight off the floor. Comes in many uh, forms. With you what? Can, you can do it with a barbell. You can do it with a, a kettlebell. <laughs> no, but what are you picking? Up? Like, how are you picking that up off the floor with? <laughs> oh, with 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 proper technique. <laughs> but what are you using? What body parts are you using? <laughs> uh, so you're gonna grab it with your hands. Oh, okay. I my mind was in the gutter there, Sean. Okay, I was just like, I'm focusing on the butt, and I'm thinking you have to <laughs> lift it up with your butt anyway. <laughs> All right, so your hands. So if you lift it up with your, if you lift barbells, your 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 derriere is going to actually get better. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh wow, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, a lot of people start with barbells, but I think it's important uh, to start with the simpler uh, implements. So if you go to dumbbells and kettlebells, you can you can do a great job to start. Really learn the movements properly. If yeah, if if you want to see all of these in, in action, you can actually check out my YouTube uh, channel. And which you is search, you search upside strength on YouTube. Okay. And you, you'll find me there, and I've got all of these simple movements uh, demonstrated on there. Okay. And so it's not a great idea to just focus, as I've learned, as you know, like my main exercise has been below the belt, <laughs> fun intended, um, but. <laughs> My main form, but I wanted some upper body strength as well. But it's not good to ne- to neglect the below the the belt, is it? It's um, best to do your, your whole body, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. whole body is is really good, especially um, because you you really like the outdoors. You like to play tennis. You like to hike, uh, and actually getting stronger, uh, you know, in your lower body is going to carry over to to these even these longer uh, activities like like hiking. Right, they're going to make a difference. Yeah, and for obviously for aesthetic reasons, it's also 
important to not neglect uh, the lower part of your body. Exactly. And how about plank, the plank? Is that uh, beneficial for the butt? Everybody knows the plank and everybody hates the plank, <laughs> including me. It is, but it, is, but it, it depends how you do it. Uh, you can actually, if you say you go down into a plank on your elbows and you just kind of stay there without doing anything uh, purposefully with your butt, nothing's going to happen there really. Okay. Uh, so what you can do is get down into a plank and then uh, I'll try and, uh, you know, picture it for you here. Think you have, think about your belt buckle. Imagine you have a belt on. Yeah. You're going to try and tilt your belt buckle towards your chin while doing the plank. Okay. So to do this, you're actually going to squeeze your glutes real hard. And that's going to tilt your pelvis back just a little bit. That's going to enable you to engage your glutes better and actually engage your abs better as well. You should feel your abs turned on much more once you do that. Excellent. And so what's in style for butts these days? Smaller, bigger? I think it's it's whatever you prefer. Sticking out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, isn't it what other people are attracted to? So what, what is it that other people are attracted to in terms of butts? You know, Depends for a while. What people you're trying to attract, isn't it? Well, I mean, some people are always trying to get that uh, Jennifer, um, you know, whose butt the butts were made famous by. I can't think of Jennifer Lopez. Okay. Her style of butt. Are you familiar yeah. with it, Sean? I am. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be a man if you weren't. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so is that style still in style, um, or is that style always in style? <laughs> I think it will never go out of style. I think so. <laughs> I think you're absolutely correct on that one. <laughs> um, okay. Well, th- those are all uh, great ter- tips to get that bottom section in line and yeah. uh, and looking better. So uh, I haven't actually watched your video, but I will very shortly, and uh, we'll get things going from the waist down. Yeah, I'll get in touch with you, and I'll uh, I'll send you maybe a specific plan for your lower body so you can actually work on that and add this to your... Uh, upper body routine too. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much. And your website? UpsideStrength.com. And you can uh, reach me on Twitter at Sean Seal. That's S-E-A-N-S-E-A-L-E. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining me and for helping me out with uh, looking better. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and and, uh, congrats on your book, by the way. Oh, well, thank you so much. All right. You're welcome. Okay. So uh, we are, so that is just one way to get your bottom in um, in great shape, okay? Uh, and you want to have your entire body uh, in good shape. And you know, sometimes we forget about nipple health. And nipple health is really important because there are things that your nipples say about your health. And I'm talking about nipples of women they're not just decorative, but you knew that. Uh, your nipples can clue into some serious health problems. So if you notice sudden puckering or dimpling of the skin around your nipple, that's a really important sign, uh, it, particularly if it occurs around just one nipple. So uh, you may want to call your doctor on that or go to see your doctor because this is one of the warning signs of breast cancer and people forget that. And I'll often say to women who've been diagnosed with that, did you have a dimple in around your nipple or even on your breast? And they will say, yes, they did. And they did not realize that that was a sign. Nipple discharge is something else. It's often normal, even if you're not pregnant or breastfeeding. This discharge, which is can be milky, bluish green, or clear, can occur in most 
women if the nipple is squeezed. Now, don't go around squeezing uh, women's breasts um, to the point where you want to get some discharge. Uh, But if you're not squeezing and if the discharge is bloody or coming from just one of your breasts, you definitely want to see a healthcare professional as well because this discharge could also be the result of a benign growth, a harmless cyst, or once again, breast cancer. So these are your nipples are something to be to pay attention to uh, if you have 3 of them don't worry about it according to one estimate about 2.7 million canadians have a third nipple and that is different from a third eye the thir- those third eye people think they can predict the future but anyway the jury's out on that too but many people have a third nipple somewhere on their body it's not necessarily on their chest they're supernumerary nipples and they are mistaken for moles or skin tags it's not a problem it can be easily removed in an outpatient setting by a plastic surgeon and you probably want to do that. Um, Exercise. We were just talking with Sean Seal about exercise and exercise can definitely chafe nipples. So you need, that's why you need a well-fitting sports bra. Uh, And also you may want to put a non-chafing balm or you may want to put some band-aids on your nipples just to protect uh, your nipples during exercise. Some people sweat quite a bit during exercise and, um, and so they that increases the chafing risk. But if you're not doing vigorous activity and you notice your nipples are red, itchy, scaly, or flaking, you should see your doctor because this could be a sign of Paget's disease, which is a rare form of cancer that involves the nipple and the areola. And I really don't like to be a Debbie Downer ever, but I think it's important to understand Uh, these health issues. Now, hairy nipples are normal, even in women, and there are small bumps around the the nipples and they're normal hair follicles. So if you have dark hairs growing on your nipples, you can pluck wax or cut them, but you know what? I wouldn't, but I don't have them. But anyway, (laughs) but you have to be very careful in doing that. And if the hair follicles become painful or grow in size or they're itchy or scaly, you definitely want to see a healthcare professional. Nipple pain during breastfeeding is quite common and preventable. You can have throbbing, burning, cracked or sore nipples are all common complaints, particularly in the first few weeks when you start breastfeeding. But if the pain continues, you may want to uh, consult a breastfeeding specialist. Your baby may not be latching on properly. And there's also any cuts in the Nipple can actually, or breaks, can actually um, lead to mastitis. And engorged breasts can trigger nipple pain, as can the infection, as I said, or yeast uh, infection as well. And that's often transmittable between mom and baby back and forth. Don't worry if you have inverted nipples. About 15% of women have inverted nipples right from birth. And it's, again, a simple matter of connective tissue retracting the nipple inward. And so it's, again, a simple matter. And if you want to correct it, it's a minor surgical procedure. A small incision is made. Uh, So there are lots of things to consider about your nipples. And so keep in mind, they... In addition to uh, health uh, signs, or they can be a a sign that you may have a health problem, nipples are erogenous zones for women and also for some men. According to researchers at Rutgers University, the sensation from nipple stimulation travels to the same pleasure centers of the brain as sensations from the vagina, clitoris, and cervix. So do not ever, ever underestimate the sensation in the nipple. And piercing fans, take note, nipple piercings may lead to loss of sensation due to nerve damage. So it's not always the best thing to have a nipple 
piercing. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I am Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. As you may or may not know, but I do some work to raise violence against everybody. (laughs) I mainly do work about raising awareness about male violence against women, but I realize it does happen in the other direction as well. Uh, Women can be violent toward men. Anybody can be violent toward anybody. And I was very interested to see this study, the UBC study, that found psychedelic drugs may reduce domestic violence. Now, we often associate any kind of drugs with increasing domestic violence. So I asked Dr. Zachary Walsh to join me to talk about his study. Hello, Dr. Walsh. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Oh, great. Well, thanks for joining me on the program to talk about this interesting study out of the UBC Okanagan that found that 42% of U.S. adult male inmates who did not take psychedelic drugs were arrested within six years for domestic battery after their release, compared with a rate of 27% for those who had taken drugs such as LSD. Are you there still? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. So you led this study, did you? Yes, and yes, yes, we did. We uh, we were involved in, in the original assessments of, of the men in jail, and then we were able to follow them up, as you said, for an average of six years, and we did find those reduced rates of uh, partner violence amongst the men who had histories of, of using uh, hallucinogenic drugs. And so uh, this is an observational study. You followed three, around 300 inmates for That's six correct, years. Yeah. And um, what, to what do you attribute this outcome? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's together with, with a surprising number of, of studies showing some positive effects for, uh, for the use of psychedelic drugs. So um, some of the authors that were also on this study found lower probation failure, and um, I think in general we're seeing, at least in some cases, that there may be better functioning across a number of areas. So um, one hypothesis is that it has to do with um, having mystical or, or uh, religious transcendent experiences that, that uh, reinforce people's values and, and um, can uh, reduce their maybe reduce their impulsive behavior or at least get them more in tune with with what's important to them so you know interpersonal relationships would be part of that and it, it's not just for um, studies of inmates what uh, a study a similar study has found that uh, um, individuals who used uh, psilocybin uh, demonstrated better um, interpersonal relationships and increased positive uh, communication with with their uh, with intimate partners and with people in, in work and other areas. So, yeah, you're like as you said earlier, it's surprising because we, we tend to associate drug use with violence, but um, this class of substances may be a little bit different. That's amazing. I know they're doing some research here in Vancouver about MDMA or ecstasy for people who have suffered uh, trauma, severe trauma in their lives. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the ecstasy seems to, where talk therapy has not been helpful for these patients. This the ecstasy has been helpful in helping them to overcome the experiences of the trauma because people often replay it, but they get to a much higher level of consciousness. I, I, to my understanding, yeah, I actually, actually work uh, uh, part of the team, the clinical team on that study, and and um, the the results haven't come out yet, but the idea is that yeah, people are able to create a better relationship with their um, with their therapist, and they're also able to um, 
it feels safer to explore some really painful memories when they're when they're in that state and and some of the uh some of the avoidance can sort of melt away so you know it's as i said it's part of what some people are calling a psychedelic renaissance where we're seeing all kinds of potentially new applications for these drugs that were stigmatized for the last you know 50 years or so and uh, you know before that time before the 60s there was a lot of enthusiasm about these substances in psychiatry uh, and then, you know, with the cultural revolutions in the 60s, um, they they really fell out of favor and, and were, as I said, stigmatized. But uh, I think we're seeing a turning of the tides. It's amazing. And do you think we're actually, people are going to be uh, nervous about taking these medications uh, to go into therapy? Well, I don't think it's going to be for everyone. And, you know, I think a lot of that stigma is going to remain. But... Um, what studies so far have shown is that they can be used safely in therapeutic contexts. So, um, you know, for it won't be for everyone, but I think that it's certainly it's certainly safe in, in terms of the um, toxicity of the drugs and and uh, side effects. It's it, they're they're as safe as many drugs that are widely prescribed today. Safer, is, than, safer than a lot of widely prescribed drugs. Is that right? That I was going to ask you about side effects. I mean. Uh, Having never having no experience with any of the <laughs> drugs LSD MDMA uh, or magic mushrooms, uh, those there are no side effects for well, for people. You know, the acute side effects that people get very uh, very disoriented. People are very stoned when they, when they're on the drugs. So a lot of, you know if the set and setting is not safe, you know um, certainly bad things can happen. But in a safe setting, uh, the side effects appear to be very tolerable. Uh, so some people might get anxious. They may have a, a parts of the experience are, are can be frightening, um, but in terms of long-term physiological harms, yeah, they're, they're they're certainly in keeping with what's acceptable for medications that are widely used. It's amazing. And do you think there will be application for the use of these medications in treating mental illness? Um, yeah, I think absolutely. They have a lot of potential, particularly for addictions and for for trauma. For some anxiety, I mean, there's been a couple studies showing that uh, people with with uh, terminal illnesses it can really reduce end of life anxiety. Um, there's even some studies looking at uh, looking at improving relationships. There's a study going on right now in uh, in California, looking at um, uh, adults with Asperger's syndrome and social phobia, and uh, helping them to. These are people who have tremendous difficulty establishing intimate relationships and. and Preliminary results from that are very promising. That's amazing. Now, do you think that, um, I mean, a lot of people are broken and have childhood trauma and experiences that may lead them to be troubled later on in life, especially as they enter relationships. Do you think there's an application here as well uh, for people who may have been sexually abused as a child or may have been neglected or uh, had other um, emotional abuse or, or have been raped, that kind of thing. Do you think um, that these may help in those arenas as well? Well, you know, for, for post-traumatic stress disorder, and, you know, that's not, we tend to associate that with, with combat maybe, but um, sur- survivors of sexual assault have high rates of PTSD, and that's certainly uh, an area where we need more effective treatments of people to overcome this trauma because those are some of the most long-lasting effects. So um, I think that there there will be potential for some people to, together with talk therapy, uh, recover more completely from, from, 
from trauma, yeah. And enjoy life. And and wh- by when do you think uh, doctors will be prescribing these medications or this type of treatment? Because I imagine it would be taking the medication and perhaps remain, remaining in the therapist's office overnight or something like I understand some of those ecstasy trials were. That is the way it works. You know, it's, it's sort of almost like, uh, you can think of it almost like a surgical kind of a paradigm where it's not something that you need to take long term like so many psychiatric medications rather something where you likely go into a clinic or a hospital and stay there overnight. Or, um, I think that in terms of it being a prescription medication, the studies that are required for that approval are, are in preparation now. So you mentioned the study that is uh, just wrapping up in, in Vancouver. That's a phase two trial. What's needed is what's called a phase three trial, which is much broader. Right. And they're just in preparation to do that. So, you know, I think optimistic estimates from people who are involved in that research is that it could be five to ten years before MDMA is a a prescription medication that can be used for things like PTSD. Um, And there's other groups, particularly in the U.S., that are working on on psilocybin, the active ingredient in in magic mushrooms, Mm -hmm. looking at making that a a medication as well. So I think over the next decade, we're going to see a lot of really, uh, really exciting development. That would be amazing. Now, do you think that people would actually maybe even hear this tonight and and think, well, I'm just going to take it, you know, take MDMA myself and, and speak to a friend or and, and process uh, all of what's gone on in my life? Well, you know, the set and setting is so important. So I, that's certainly nothing I can would recommend. One thing that we do know is that a lot of what passes for MDMA in uh, – in the black market has very little to do with MDMA, so you have no idea what you're getting. And if, if you're not doing it in, the, in a safe setting, it's not uh, the equivalent to what we're seeing in these trials. So there's no way to say that the effects that are seen in the trials would translate into someone using an uncontrolled substance in an unsafe setting. So uh, I don't think that's the message that we want to send. No, absolutely not. It's not the message. And, uh, and I appreciate you saying that uh, what you get on the street is, you know, what you think you're getting, you may not be getting. So definitely don't try this at home. Well, Dr. Walsh, Dr. Zachary Walsh, this has been a pleasure and very enlightening talking to you. This, this study was published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology recently. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. That's great. Well, congratulations on the great work. Uh, keep uh, keep going because this is an area of health that I'm quite interested in. It's very much uh, related to sexual health and, of course, relationships and mental health and um, the health of our families it all, all ties to um, things that occur that happen to people that uh, can be so traumatizing. Yeah, absolutely. And MDMA, you know, before it was uh, scheduled as, a, as an illegal drug, it was being used uh, quite commonly in couples therapy. That was one of the big applications of it. Right. I think I've read about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's very so interesting. Potential application in the future when, when, uh, when we have uh, more compassionate uh, legislation that allows um, people to use these drugs who might benefit from them. Absolutely. It will take a politician to have these these types of troubles <laughs> in their relationship or family before they might uh, take a second look at it. Well, thank you so much for having me anytime. Well, thank you very much for being here. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll keep up with this research with your work, and uh, I'd love to have you back. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, you too. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, when I come back, we're going to be talking a little bit about loneliness and the impact on your health. I'll I'll, uh, let you know what those penis cages or male chastity belts are used for. And uh, 
few other things. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. What a voice, that Adele. I'm Maureen McGrath, a different kind of a voice. <laughs> You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I'm a sex voice. I was at a party a couple of weeks ago, and I overheard somebody say, Maureen McGrath? Who's Maureen McGrath? She's everybody's sex expert. I thought, fantastic. That's a good little tagline. Hopefully I'm yours. Perhaps you can call me if you have any questions about sex, your relationships, your health, anything like that. Uh, ideal in the sexual health field. And of course, this week I came across a patient who was in a male chastity belt or a penis cage. And his reason for that, there are many reasons for it. Um, people want to uh, see what it's like not to be uh, able to touch themselves for several days on end. Um, they It gives them some sort of power walking around with this kinky secret that they have this penis cage and it may not show through their pants. Um, a number of different reasons. They just sort of, it can be uh, involved in BDSM play. There's a number of different reasons, but nonetheless know that there are some men out there walking around with penis cages. And this one was under lock and key, and of course, he had lost the key, <laughs> so that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> Enter Maureen. What am I going to do about it? <laughs> anyway, how am I going to help? They didn't want to take the uh, chainsaw <laughs> to the device. <laughs> we got it off, needless to say. We called a locksmith. <laughs> anyway, that was my bright idea, but uh, sometimes, you know, you just have to take the simple approach to problem solving in life. I was really interested, uh, I'm interested in loneliness because next week I'm talking at uh, TEDx Stanley Park at the Queen Elizabeth Theater about the sexless marriage, lust, trust, and technology. And you may not realize, but loneliness plays a role in sexless marriages. And I want to be very clear, people who are in marriages where there is no sex and they're okay with that, they can have beautiful marriages, they find love in other ways. But and intimacy in other ways. But people who want to have sex and aren't having sex, it can be the most frustrating thing ever. And they often feel lonely. Well, you may not realize just how dangerous loneliness is for your health. And uh, there are some people who are going on all of these apps, all these dating apps, everything from Grinder to Tinder to Scruff. I mean, it may be a recipe for loneliness for you. You know, people are on there all the time, two and three hours. It's a complete waste of time at, at times. And then at the end of the day, they find up, they find out that they've actually not been able to hook up with somebody. They haven't met anybody. And when you're using hookup apps excessively, it may contribute to social isolation because it substitutes momentary, relatively anonymous, and shallow relationships for deeper, more sustaining intimacy. So that's, uh, and, and loneliness is really bad for your health. It increases vascular resistance. As I've taught you, sex is about blood flow. And so when you have increased vascular resistance, your blood vessels are thinner. So for men or for women, there's less blood flow to the genitalia, so less sexual sensation. You may have uh, difficulty experiencing an erection. And uh, these are like empty calories, these these things, and people are staying on them all day. Uh, this is, it's actually worse. Um, it is worse being on these social media apps than it is eating a McDonald's uh, double, what a Big Mac. 
<laughs> apparently. And what was funny is as I was reading this particular article, this McDonald's ad kept flashing on on the site. But there are some serious negative uh health issues and mainly the loneliness. People who are lonely actually have a greater risk of dying early, greater than people who are obese or people who drink excessive alcohol. So you want to be very careful about what it is that you are consuming online. Um, So you want to recognize the signals of loneliness that lead to symptoms that accompany excessive use. And the problem about loneliness is it has in the past been falsely characterized as a non-chronic disease, and it's more linked to shyness or being a loner or having marginal social skills. You don't hear people talking about feeling lonely because, again, loneliness is a stigma. And so it's the psychological equivalent to being a loser in life or a weak person, and that's not necessarily true. So just know your risk. Know that using these apps... Uh, and especially if you use them to respond to loneliness, you you need to combat this by actually developing a trusted relationship or, you know, being friends with somebody. Um, we're not having as many friends as we've had in the past or certainly close confidants. So that's a big risk. Uh, so you want to spend time with your family and friends. You want to get out there and volunteer. And that's where my invitation is to you to help me this year with the Bladder Cancer Canada Walk. I've been doing it for like the past five years. I've never asked for your help before, but I'm asking for it this time. And so that's a great way to to give back and to help. But anyway, we're probably going to have to go to a break right now. And uh, we are. And when I come back. Get- When I come back, I'm going to wrap up this baby. I'm going to tell you where I'll be speaking this week. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. Great music tonight, Mike. Thanks once again. Always glad to have you here. And always glad to have you, the listeners, here. I had an email uh, from a gentleman. Hi, Maureen. I'm glad you thought about me when you started the show last week. For the last couple of years, sex has been very sporadic for me in my relationship at best. So sad about feeling like I am very unattractive. I've been trying to get healthy. I've lost nearly 50 pounds in the last year. Been trying to get healthy off of a lot of pharmaceutical drugs and being all herbal. I am in a sexless marriage, so there's no intimacy really that's going on. And I would love to ha- to change this in my life. I have a great job, and otherwise I'm pretty happy with life, but it's really tough to be in a sexless marriage. Next week at TEDx Stanley Park 2016, I will be speaking about the sexless marriage. It's an important issue for about 20% of married couples uh, who meet the criteria for sexless marriages. So do join me. You can go online to get some tickets at TEDxStanleyPark.com. If you use my name, Maureen, M-A-U-R-E-E-N, you can get a $20 discount from that. This week, I'm also speaking Tuesday morning to about 30 general practitioners about none other than sex. So uh, I'm trying to educate everybody, quite honestly, and so that you can more comfortably go to your GP and talk about sex, things like low sexual desire, I'll be talking about and erectile dysfunction, anorgasmia, arousal issues, some of the false beliefs we have around arousal, that arousal or sexual interest precedes sexual activity, when in reality, female sexual arousal is a response to sexual activity. So there is a case for just doing it. So just do it. I'm talking to you ladies out there. 
because I don't have to talk to the guys about that. They're just doing it. On Tuesday morning, I'm speaking at uh, to those doctors out at Mount St. Joe's. And I'm also speaking on Thursday at a giant event for, it is the 2016 55 Plus Lifestyle Expo. And I'll be talking about sexual desire there as well and a lot of the other sexual dysfunction that I see in my clinical practice. So you can always go to my website and uh, book an appointment if you like. I have two clinical practices, but what I try and do is for those people who do come to my clinical practice, I try and find those common health conditions, sexual health conditions and sexual dysfunction and talk about them on the air because I know, I feel badly that my services are not covered by MSP but, uh, but if you can't afford to pay as well, I certainly would not charge you. So, um, But you can go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. You can book an appointment via email or phone if you like. Uh, remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. You can follow me on Twitter at backthenumber2thebedroom. And uh, until next week when I bring you some more sexual health subjects and especially around relationships and some of the taboos. And I'll I'll report to you if you weren't able to attend the TEDx Stanley Park. But it's going to be a great day. You should really come out for it. It's going to be fantastic. There's food trucks. There's tons of great speakers. We're talking about social media, talking about culture. We're talking about stereotyping. We're talking about living with chronic illness, anxiety. And there are so many amazing speakers that are going to be there joining me on the stage. And I'm honored to stand amongst uh, a lot of them, Uh, so which is fantastic. So thank you so much for listening tonight. Have a great long weekend. Get some rest tomorrow night and certainly make time for you know what. Uh, If I were you, that's what I'd do. Anyway, thanks for listening. I am Maureen McGrath. Until next week, have a sexually healthy week. You've been listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show.